You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Canton and Simiu show, our weekly crossover show where myself, Harry Simiu and the brilliant Tom Canton of the Guna Talk TV and the Arsenal way, uh, we get together and we have a chat about all things Arsenal. We share the show across our two YouTube channels, but it is available to download in audio format, both on the Guna Talk and on the Chronicles of Aguna. So uh, stay tuned. We'll get that uploaded as soon as possible. But a big hello, first of all, to those of you joining us in the live chat. Hope you are all well. Uh, hope you're all good. Um, hope you're not too cold because I'm finding this weather's turned dramatically recently and I'm having to take a bigger coat to work, which is not ideal. Uh, Tom, do you get this sometimes? And I know this is weird and, and a random thing to discuss at the start. Of the I show. love random conversations. <laughs> But do you find sometimes you put these massive coats on because you're freezing walking to the station and then you're on the train sweating your ass off? Yeah, absolutely. All the time. I mean, I used to, when I was, um, when I was teaching and obviously you'd have like different blocks on the site, I'd put my coat on to go from one room to another that happens on the other side. And when you're walking, when you try and get from one lesson to another between and you're like seconds to get there and because you've got to set everything up for your lesson, it was a case of like, coat on everything on in december run over and by the time you get there you're sweating buckets like so why are you sweating so much like <laughs> so it's worse when you've got like 30 kids critiquing you as beads of sweat run down your face so yeah that's that's arguably worse i'd say <laughs> yeah fair fair point fair point i just never find that right balance between hot and cold mm, no um but there you go it is what it is uh tom we got lots and lots to get into this week arsenal have a big game at anfield this coming saturday 5.30 p.m. kickoff at Anfield. Not been a happy hunting ground for us recently in the Premier League anyway. Um, we'll, we'll discuss that. We'll dissect how we think that one might go. We'll also talk about the news that's just broken about an hour or so ago that Thomas Partey is available, which I think is massive for the Arsenal. We'll also touch on the recent reports regarding Alexander Lacazette's future and the future of the Egyptian Pirlo, Mohamed El Neni. Let's kick off by talking about the Liverpool game, because I think that's what everybody's buzzing about going into the weekend. Thomas Partey being available for me makes the world of difference. How are you feeling going into this one? Because it's a fixture that in recent times we've we've struggled in. And now yeah. an opportunity, don't we? Maybe. Yeah. I'm upset. I was going to say it's just it's it's one of those games where you look at and you go, you just kind of mark it on your calendar, and you're like, well, let's just write three points off there because it's, we're not going to get them. But uh, look, I think it's it's the most confident I've been going to Anfield probably since that 2012 game that we won two 0 with Santi Gazzola and Lucas Podolski, both scored first season. I think that was without Robin van Persie, um, and yeah. Liverpool are a tough side and they're a side that are going to cause a lot of problems and from the way that we're hearing from Liverpool's injury news Andrew Robertson might be fit again Mane's going to be fit Henderson still has a chance of making the game um, despite all of the talk about their injuries so we can expect a, a Liverpool team that's going to be 
pretty much close to as full strength as it, as it possibly can be still, despite all the talk of all the injuries they might have had. But it's just the way it goes with Arsenal, is that we face a team that we're told have loads of injuries, but, you know, they don't really. So they're all going to turn up on the day. Partey is massive, though. Like If if he is indeed fit, which there is a big hope that he's going to be, um, that changes a lot. I mean, going back to that 2012 game, that was the game where Abu uh, Diaby had a, a brilliant game. And obviously shares a lot of similar characteristics with Partey, quite tall, uh, really good progressing the ball with their feet. And uh, that's going to be big for us is, is if Partey can dominate the midfield uh, and transition the ball for us from one end of the pitch to the other and get at Liverpool and unlock our wide, like kind of wide channels, that's going to be crucial. But the biggest thing for Liverpool this season is that I think in just one of their 11 games, if they fail to score at least two goals, um, Brighton and we, we say Brighton and West Ham got results against them, but between them, they scored five goals in those two games. If you want to get anything from Liverpool, you've got to score. And that's been our biggest issue is our defence looks good, but we haven't really been able to score. I think in seven of the 10 unbeaten, we've scored two or less. So we really need to, you know, really need to screw it on and, and get our chances and, and take them when they come, if we've got any hope of getting anything from Anfield. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I was just literally travelling home and, and the Thomas Partey news came up on my Twitter feed, which I'm obviously delighted about. I think you're right. I think it makes a, a massive difference to our chances. I think I was very fearful of going there with Maitland-Niles and Lukonga in the middle of the park. I think that, you know, against Liverpool's midfield, that's not ideal. There is a tiny part of me, Tom, though, and, and I don't mm. mean to kind of piss on the parade if you like but there is a tiny part of me that worries when Thomas Partey is a massive doubt and then is all of a sudden fit because we saw on numerous occasions last season that Arsenal almost out of desperation would rush him back into the side and we all saw how that went we saw him then break down again and then we then had to contend without him for another period of time is there a small part of you that is is fearful about Thomas Partey's ongoing injury problems Absolutely. I think it'd be naive if you weren't worried. Uh, you remember that famous Spurs game where he got pushed back onto the pitch by Mikel Arteta. Like, those games are a real concern um, because he's such a crucial player. And I mean, we lost Partey for the start of last season and we were 16th, I think, by Boxing Day. And, and he his absence was a massive, massive part of, of us being that poor. So him being there and available, it just I thought Maitland-Niles was really good against Watford. Like, don't take anything away from his performance. But Partey is is a considerable step up on Maitland-Niles. And I mean, for you, like Partey, do you think Partey is, is kind of the difference between an Arsenal that can compete for top four and one that can't? Is it, is it that simple to, to point to one player as influence on the team? Yeah, I think it is. But I think that's 50% because of how good Thomas Partey is and 50% because we don't have an alternative. So I think you know, we talk a lot about how successful the summer transfer window was. And I think overall it was. But the one black mark on it for me was the failure to address that midfield position. I know nobody could have foreseen Granit Xhaka picking up an injury um, that would rule him out for such a long period of time, especially given that his fitness record has been, uh, you know, spotless. But, you know, th there's a couple of things for me. So first of all, we don't have another Thomas Partey. And I know it's not easy to just pluck out players of that quality, but someone who does what he does. I think that Lokonga is slightly different in his profile. I think that Elneny is, is much more limited. I don't think Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a similar profile to him. 
I worry with Granit Xhaka, even if he was fit now, that we he wouldn't be able to press the way that Arsenal are, are pressing at the moment. And so I don't know if that fit, um, you know, is, is something that we can look at. But yeah, to, to answer your original question, I think he is that important because half because of how good he is, but half because of the lack of alternatives. And I think that could be the big kind of, the big mistake or the big miss that Mikel Arteta and Edu made in the summer that might come to bite us later on in the season. And I've always got that in the back of my mind. Yeah, it it was. Whilst I'm a big, big fan of Edu and I think he did an amazing job with the players that we brought in, but it it is that midfield position you look at and go that at the start of the window, that for me was the big one. And, And we didn't do that. And if we miss out on top four this season... And we got a real opportunity to get that because we didn't bring in that that midfielder. It's it's going to be a big big kind of mark on on Edu when when I don't want there to be because I think he's got some really good ideas and I think he's helping to build a squad that's that's progressive and it's it's getting us back to where we want to be and in the conversation again amongst some of the biggest sides in the league. So I don't want there to be these these big criticisms of him, but rightly that we can point the finger at that midfield position if we don't benefit from from not having someone there you look towards January and I know we're going to come on to some transfer news but do you think that there's scope for Arsenal to bring in a a midfielder that would be you know would be our next best or as good as Partey in that January window is that feasible and do you think that Arsenal would even likely do something like that I feel like in keeping Granit Xhaka in making that decision they kick the can down the road with regards to bringing in a starting midfield player and I don't know if circumstances or if they will look at Thomas Partey and say, well, he's broken down a couple of times again already. Is it is it something that we need to do and we need to kind of speed up that timeline? Remember, January is notoriously a difficult month to do business in as well. I, I always think and, you know, I know people say that and sometimes people say a lot of things in football and they use cliches and they use, you know, kind of generalisms. But I really do think that is one. You know, there is a problem uh, trying to purchase players in January because of the difficulties that the selling club might have in them replacing that player. I mean, I think we can talk about it and I think it's something that I think the club at least need to consider. But I mean, a question back to you, who do you think would be realistic? Who's a realistic target that you could go and bring in Mm. and say, this is a signing, not just as a a panic signing, one that we're going to benefit from in the long term, but one that's achievable in this particular month. It's tough, isn't it? Because there's so few players in January that tend to move. You look at some, maybe someone like Frank Kessie, as you talk about, who's got six months left on his deal uh, at Milan, and you think if Arsenal throw in, say, a 25, 30 million pound bid and offer the wages that he's after, would that get him? And I mean, is 25 to 30 million pounds a good deal for Arsenal for a player that's just got six months left that you could poach on a free? It might be if it beats the competition. Um, and who's going to care about spending £25 million on a player if he's absolutely bossing it for us for the next three, four, five, however many years? So I do look at someone like Kessie, and people talk about and say, oh, well, we don't assign someone that's too similar to Partey. I'm like, why not? Like, Partey's great. Like, I love Partey. And I think that you can have two Parteys if you like. And I think it's a lazy comparison anyway, but I think that there's nothing wrong with having two players as good as Thomas Partey in the middle of the central midfield for Arsenal. So I'd look at him. Obviously, there's the Ives Basuma stuff that we always talk about. Um, and I'm not going to go into the social side of what's going on with him at the moment, but like there's there's other players out there that we've been linked to previously, Bruno Gimarash at Lyon, another player that's really, really positive. You've got obviously Dennis Zakaria at Borussia Mönchengladbach, who's got six months left on his deal. Could he be someone we could look at to bring in? 
I really liked Enoch and Weppo, who Brighton brought in from Red Bull Salzburg. I like him a lot. Uh, I know I'm biased with my Salzburg kind of side of things, but they've, I mean, Salzburg themselves got a young guy called Camera there who's also showing like he could be kind of that next player coming through. So there are players around. People talk about Renato Sanchez. I wouldn't dare go close to Renato Sanchez with his injury record. I was going through, I think it was the other day, looking through how many games he's missed, and he's missed 71 matches wow. since 2017. So it's, and he's only 24 and he's missed 71 games. Which is incredible, um, and they're all. And I think it's obviously most people will follow Doctor Rajpral Bra on on Twitter, who's like the Arsenal fan physiotherapist, and you go to for all that. And someone asked him about whether he'd take um, Renato Sanchez, and he was like, "Absolutely no chance." The intensity of the Premier League in combination with the types of injuries that he's had would just be a a disaster, a disaster. for him. Yeah. So yeah, in short, there are options out there. Um, do I think Arsenal are going to really go for it? I genuinely don't know because Edu surprised me with some of the things that he's done. Um, so we could do. Uh, and I think if they spot that there's a chance for us to get top four, I can actually see them doubling down and pushing for it. Yeah, all, all great points. I mean, you mentioned some some options there. I agree with you on the Renato Sanchez thing. I think every time he seems to have a good game anywhere, whether it's on international duty or whatever, we get those clips coming up on Twitter again, people retweeting it. Why wouldn't you want this guy? But a massive part of being a good player and a key player is being reliable in terms of your fitness. And I know that's not always in the player's hands. You know, sometimes there are other issues. There are, you know, tackles that lead to injuries that don't necessarily reflect on the way that player takes care of himself, but that can be, you know, it can, it can have such a detrimental effect mm -hmm. on a side and you can't be relying on players, you know, to yeah, and, and the thing is with Partey as well, right? Well, the point that we have to stress is that mm. he didn't have a bad injury record prior to coming to the club. So we can't sit there and point the finger at the club and say, well, you didn't do your due diligence on Thomas Partey and his fitness issues because they didn't exist before. Yeah. But you could say that if we went and signed Renato Sanchez and he came in and had these problems time and time again. You could say that if we looked at someone like even Calvin Phillips, you know, people are talking about Calvin mm. Phillips in the chat. He's another one who I don't rate at that level anyway, but that's another debate for another day. Mm. But he breaks down quite frequently as well. So, you know, you you need to take this into consideration and you need to think about it and, and you know, use the previous as much as you can. But as we've seen with Partey, it's not always a guarantee that that means when they come to your team and your league and your, uh, you know, your style, that they're going to not have those issues. A couple of other things on the Liverpool game. Um, you know, there's a few decisions that Mikel has to make. I think the left-back one is a big one. Kieran mm. Tierney returns to fitness. Nuno Tavares has done brilliantly up until now. What would you do, Tom, if you were Mikel Arteta? Would you bring Tierney straight back in? Or would you feel and look at what Tavares has done and say, you deserve to stay in the team? For me... And it sounds really silly to say this, but there's there's two options. And I don't talk, I don't mean one or the other. I mean one option is you go three at the back and you play Tierney left centre back and you put Tavares left wing back and you double up on Mo Salah. That that's kind of the, the one of the big kind of left field options. It's not even left field. I think it's quite sensible actually when you think about it. I mean we went to Anfield in '89 and played a back three surprisingly and it it paid off very well. So if you're going to compare the impact of, of that on the likes of John Barnes, why not think about the impact of what it can do on someone like that Mo Salah and, and suffocate the space available for someone like him with Tavares and Tierney, who has played very well in that spot for uh, for Scotland as well. So it's not to say that he can, and for us, of course. The other option for me is to play Tavares in the, black four, in the back four. Sorry, I just think that he is 
a player obviously in form. He's a player doing fantastically well. Um, kept clean sheets again for a, the, the Portuguese youth side. I know they're only playing in the youth system, but still, it's it's important to maintain consistency in his performances, and he did that. Uh, I think that his physicality is something that Tierney obviously lacks. He's taller, he's more broad, he can muscle players off the ball. I think that could be really good against someone like Salah. Um, Tini has played against Salah, so he's got that experience, but it's not necessarily stopped Salah from still really, you know, ruining him at times. So I would stick with Tavares, go with the physicality if we are to play a back four, which both Brighton and West Ham did when they got points against them. And we probably need to if we want to score a couple of goals. And as I said earlier, if you want to get something from Liverpool, you have to score because they're going to score. So, yeah, Tavares for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking the same. And I know that people will always push back on that and say, well, Kieran Tierney's a more accomplished defender and with Mo Salah on that side, that's something that we need to be wary of. I just think that his ability to get forward more powerfully than Kieran Tierney, if that makes sense, in terms of the way he can just pick up the ball and drive past players. I know Tierney's good at getting into those positions and you could probably argue has a better delivery when he gets into those positions. But Tavares's unpredictability just feels like a really big weapon that we could potentially use. You think about the way Liverpool play and Trent Alexander-Arnold's willingness to get forward and the gaps that he might leave. I just feel like Tavares in in, in the form that he's in would pr- potentially cause Liverpool some more problems. So I would stay with him. Plus, I'm a big believer that if you get an opportunity and you take that opportunity and you haven't put a foot wrong, Unless there is a massive difference in the quality of the two players, then you shouldn't be changing them just because he's Kieran Tierney and he's Nuno Tavares. So I think for me, I think it sends a message if Mikel Arteta stays with the team that served him so well in recent weeks. And and I'd like to see him stick with him. Look, if Tavares makes a mistake, I, I promise I'm not going to sit on the post-match podcast and, and slag Arteta off because I don't think, you know, you can argue with the idea of Tavares deserving to continue in the side. I think he's been that good, that impressive. Um, One of the things I was speaking about yesterday and and speaking about today on the 90 Min show was, I'm really interested, Tom, to see how Arsenal are going to start this game. Because traditionally, we've gone to Anfield. We've started slow. We know that Liverpool traditionally start fast. They've pinned us back. They've scored an early goal. And the game has essentially been over. I wonder if this new confident Arsenal side is going to go to Anfield and say, hold on a minute, we're not going to sink deep and we're not going to let you, um, you know, just come on to us and, and, and defeat us essentially in the first 10, 15 minutes. We're going to be a bit more aggressive because we've started games fast in recent months and push up to the halfway line and say, no, we're here to play. Is that being too brave? Is that being too bold? What's your take on it? How would you approach the first 15, 20 minutes? Because I think that's going to be key. Yeah, it is. I think it's. I think we do need to attack them because I think they're vulnerable. I think they've showed that this season that they can concede. Um, they're not the Liverpool that that won the league with with Van Dijk. It's a different. It's a different Liverpool. It's somewhat. It's Liverpool that people have had time now to work out their kind of the little chinks in the armor sort of thing. So they can be got at as teams have showed this year. Um, I think that you look at the kind of the blueprint of the game against Leicester, for instance, where we were playing obviously at the King Power Stadium, a stadium in which we were expected to be under a lot of pressure from the off. And we really turned the screw on on Leicester from the first minute and used the wide areas in particular to really kind of 
double up with with Tomiyasu supporting uh, Saka and, of course, Tavares supporting Smith-Rowe on the other side. And it is going to be that overload in the wide areas that Arsenal will need to be both wary of, of getting caught on the counter, but also making sure that you're creating solid chances. And Smith-Rowe is going to be huge in this game. He's, he's been a lot more direct playing on the left, gets into the box a lot more. And obviously, Saka delivering on the right-hand side is going to be crucial. But when it comes to the strikers, which we expect to be probably a Bamiyang, I'm not sure who starts at 10, whether or not you go with, say, Odegaard for his service, because we're not going to be... Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because you don't know whether or not, if you're going to play more offensive, starting with Lacazette suits that more than it does Erdegaard. But if you're going to be a little bit more reserved, if you throw in Erdegaard, it gives you an out ball and it gives the opportunity to, say, pass the ball to him on the edge of the, I suppose, the centre circle and he can turn, spin and play it in behind for us. But it's a really tough one as to, I'm glad I'm not making that choice. So... Um, I will firmly sit on the fence with those two because I I don't know who I would pick if I was Mikel Arteta because I think he has benefits to to both players in such a tactically difficult game to judge. But I do think we need to go for it and I think we need to be on them and I think we need to shock them, to be honest. I think I, I don't want to be an Arsenal side that's just expected to kind of go there and, you know, just bow down to Liverpool. I want to be a side that goes there and, and tries to get something, shocks them a bit and, you know, ruffles their feathers. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fair. I mean, we're getting quite a bit of heat in the chat box about the oh, Tavares and, and Tierney <laughs> thing. Yeah. So what I've done is I've stuck a poll in the YouTube comment section, uh, which you guys can vote on. Uh, we've had 22 votes in the minute or so that it's been up there, 24 now. Uh, I want to know from you guys who you would like to see start at left back on Saturday and towards the end of the show, we'll reveal those results. So get voting on that one. I didn't know you could do this uh, in play polls until uh, a few days ago. It's a great thing. Oh, you, so, you're uh, definitely showing me how to do that after. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you. It's, it's uh, no sweat. So we know that there's a big debate at left back. You've talked about the number 10 position. I agree with you. That's another contentious position. I was sitting there thinking today and, and talking about it today. And, and one of the things that came to my mind was the fact that the idea of maybe being without Thomas Partey, and we know that now, according to reports, he should be available but the fact that he might not have been, I felt might have pushed Mikel Arteta into dropping Lacazette and playing that extra midfielder to give us that little bit more stability to almost compensate for the fact that the Ghanaian was potentially going to be unavailable. But I hope now that if he is available, that he's going to stick with the team and the system that's served us really, really well. Um, uh, uh, do you want to give a prediction? Can we do that? Is it... Uh, <laughs> I'm always wary or scoreline or both. Scoreline, scoreline. <laughs> I I said my head said three one Liverpool. That that's what my head was telling me. Uh, if I if I was going to say put any money on the game, I'd, I'd as a if I was thinking from a neutral perspective and trying to take all the bias and all the confidence and the ego out of it, my head says three one Liverpool. Um, my heart says two two, um, which I know doesn't sound all that confident to be honest, but. I think that'd be a great result. Like, I think that'd be a, I'd, I'd absolutely snap your arm off for two two because it keeps us in the in the hunt for Liverpool. Like if we lose this game, I think we go what five points behind them. So, and I know we're not really meant to be looking at Liverpool as kind of the barometer for Arsenal, but I, I yeah, I, I just feel like it's important not to lose this game for some reason. Really key, and I don't. We talked about this last time, didn't we, Harry? About whether or not this game's a free hit for us. Yeah. Um, 
and I've I see the argument on both sides about it being a free hit uh, because obviously Liverpool are going to beat a lot of sides at Anfield this season, and we're not meant to be in contention with them. But if we are going to get anything from the top four, they're another team going for the top four because to be in the frame for the title, you've got to be going for the top four. So, yeah, I'll say a very you know optimistic two-two, but my head still thinks that Liverpool are going to take this, uh, not comfortably, but you know they'll probably be. 2-1 up and then nick one in the last few moments to, to make it through and flatten them. Yeah, I think if you're not, you know, if you're a football man, it's impossible to make a stronger case for Arsenal to win this game than Liverpool, you know. So Absolutely. I think we have to take our Arsenal hats off and be fair about this. And, and you know, I guess we'll see you on Saturday. Um, let's go over to the live comments. Let's take a couple of your comments. Uh, before I do that, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button. It really, really does help the stream. Uh, make sure you subscribe to both channels if you haven't done so already, right here on the Chronicles of Aguna and the Guna Talk, which is, of course, linked in the description. So make sure you've done that. That way you'll never miss one of these shows because we rotate between the two uh, each week. So get involved there. Also, we've currently got people watching us on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitch. We are on Twitch, Chronicles AFC. You can find us there. Really new to the Twitch space, and our Facebook page is not as active as it probably should be, but I can see there's a couple of you there. So uh, hello. Um, let's go over to the chat box. John Daly says, Tom, have you found the pub to watch the match on Saturday? Have you got an issue with Oh, basically, basically, it's my birthday on Sunday, so uh, my missus is taking me out in London tomorrow, and then I'm seeing a lot of my uni friends on Saturday from when I went to Nottingham. So I've got to find... I'm sneaking away for the game, basically. I've got to find a, a place in Shoreditch. So if anyone oh, knows of any easy. sports bars in Shoreditch, let me know, because that's where I'm going to be. Easy. So, yeah. You'll easily find in, in Shoreditch. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, t I'll tell you some places that I probably shouldn't say on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I know they'll be showing it for sure. Uh, yeah, but you, you'll have no problem there. And a happy I'll birthday in advance. Thanks, for, mate. Appreciate for it. Uh, right. Let's see uh, what some of you guys are saying before we move on to a couple more uh, topics. Lots of people saying that Liverpool are going to win. 3-1 um, is is quite a common prediction in the chat. Brad's gone with a 2-2. No, he says he will take a 2-2. I will take any sort of result at Anfield. I've got to be honest, Cavill's gone with a 1-1. One, one. Uh, Jordan Charles has got a uh, spot for you. There you go. Old Street Sports Bar. Uh, and Terence Tibbs is near Shoreditch as well, so you might even bump into him. There you go. There you go. Uh, right. Um, let's talk a little bit about Alexander Lacazette because he is a player whose contract is due to expire at the end of the season. A lot of talk around whether or not he will stay. I read something today that basically suggested that Arsenal are actually quite open to keeping hold of Lacazette mm. as long as the terms... Yeah, the athletic, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Mm. As long as they don't find themselves in a position where they're stuck with a big salary on a long-term contract, which feels a bit like stating the obvious, to be honest. Um, mm. Where are you on the Lacazette thing? Would you keep him? What sort of terms would you be willing to keep him under, I guess, is the better question. I'll be shocked if he stays. Like I'll be if if the club do end up agreeing a contract, I would be very surprised. I think there's I think one of the weaknesses of Arteta is that he wants to try and keep everybody happy, which I know seems a little bit contradictory when you think about Genduzi and Urzu and that. But members of the squad like Laka, who he genuinely values and likes, and you know has part of his group, I think he wants to try and please them all. That's why you've seen him say that he wants Enketia to stay, and that there's all this talk of Lacazette maybe getting a new contract, but. I would be surprised uh, if he did stay. I wouldn't because 
if it was a choice between him for another year or Aubameyang for another year, I'd say Lacazette, but that's not the situation that we're in. Aubameyang's going to be here for another year. I don't see him going uh, with a year left. I don't see anyone buying him with a year left or any kind of agreement happening. And I think that the club do kind of want to look at that striker position as the next step on the journey of Arteta's squad and the next step to the next five or however many years that this squad's going to be together for. And and there are strikers out there um, of, of kind of that mid-20s range that are, you know, ready to take that step. You look at players like Dominic Carver-Lewin at Everton that you could look at. Ollie Watkins maybe at Aston Villa from Premier League sort of options. You go abroad and you start looking at Yusuf Nezri at Sevilla. Uh, we've obviously been linked to the likes of Dusan Vlahovic or Vlaovic, um, uh, Alexander Rizak at Real Sociedad. There are strikers out there that are ready to be plucked um, and are ripe for this kind of next step in their career. So... I would be surprised if we didn't uh, go for someone and let Alex Lacazette go. But it is Arsenal and they are unpredictable, so you never know. What do you think? I'm very much of the school of thought that I don't mind Lacazette staying because I feel like not only does he bring quite a bit on the pitch, he brings a lot off of it as well. I think he's clearly a big influence in the dressing room, clearly has a positive influence on those young players around him. I look at what we've got waiting in the wings. I know Eddie and Ketia is probably going to leave, but if you look at the current state, and Ketia Balogun are either of them ready to step up and, and take that position? I don't think so. Even if we do go and bring in another striker, we still need Lacazette in the squad. You know, I just feel like we need a bit more depth. If we're looking to get into Europe next season again as well, then you will have games to offer these people. This is one of the big challenges of this season has been that you've lost you know, in the Europa League, for example, 12, 13 guaranteed fixtures probably that you could have given to these fringe players that they're not going to get now. I don't think he will stay uh, because I I think at his age, he'll be looking for a, a more lucrative offer than one that Arsenal are probably going to give him. And that's absolutely fair enough on his part. I won't have any sort of issue with him deciding that. But I, only, I would only keep him, Tom, if we do go out and bring in someone else. You know, okay. it can't be, it can't be, let's keep Lacazette, which means in the summer, we're going to avoid the striker issue because it feels like in this rebuild, we've started from the back. We've now got a pretty decent backline. We've got some depth to that backline as well. When you think about, um, you know, Saliba coming back as well, you're looking at him as potentially a third centre half and someone who can compete for those positions. So there's a bit of depth there. You move into the midfield. We've all talked about that being an area that needs addressing. Mm. Wingers, I think we're okay for now uh, in that department. But forwards feels like the position, centre forwards, that Mikel Arteta has looked at and gone, well, this is not ideal. And you know it's not ideal by the fact that he's changed his system to accommodate both of them. He looks at Lacazette, he looks at Aubameyang and he thinks, I need aspects of both of their games in this team. And that's why I believe he's picking them both. Not because I think this is his preferred formation, because I think he's recognised he needs elements of Aubameyang and he needs elements of Lacazette in the team to, to produce something in the final third. So I think it's not a situation he looks at and thinks is ideal, but it's one he's gone, well, there is enough quality here for me to make do and for me not to prioritise this area. But going forward, I think it will be an area of priority. You look at their contract situations, you look at their ages, and it is an area that we need to strengthen in. So I would be okay with him staying, but only if we go out and bring someone else in. Also, if he left, I wouldn't really have a major issue with that as well. He's mm. been at Arsenal for a few years now. Like This is the first time he looks like an indispensable member of the team, and I think that says quite a bit.
Yeah, look, I think that I get the argument about keeping him. Um, one thing you said about Balogun, is he kind of ready? Um, no, he's not. Um, but if you keep Lacazette, is he ever going to be ready? Kind of thing. Yeah. Like they got that case of next season if he's not going on loan, which you've got to take a punt at some point, right? On yeah, on absolutely. Young yeah, like uh, he needs to loan this January. Like Balogun has to go on loan because next year we're going to have European football. That's going to be a great opportunity to throw him into the first team and get him in and around that 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 kind of group and playing if he's not going to go on loan again. So he has to go on loan this January. Uh, I don't see Nketiah leaving um, unless they get a, a silly bid um, kind of coming for a guy with six months left on his deal. I think Arteta is going to look at him and go, look, if Aubameyang or Lacazette get injured, we're going to be down to however many strikers and Balogun's on loan. So we're going to need to keep you for these six months and then we'll just let you go at the end of the contract. And, you know, it would have been nice to have you at the club for that amount of time, but uh, kind of thanks for the memory sort of thing. So you look at the summer and you go, we're going to bring someone in. Balogun's here and Ketty is gone. Abamyang's here. We've brought someone in, whoever that may be, not knowing any names. Is adding Lacazette to make it four and Balogun putting him too far down the roster to prevent him from getting valuable minutes and i think it, it might be yeah i think i think you make a great point another player whose uh, future is in doubt is uh, mohammed el neni and there have been reports to date on that arsenal uh, are willing to terminate his contract in january and let him go now uh, initially my thought was well we're so short in midfield how can we allow this to happen and then I thought about the fact that he probably will be someone that goes to the African Cup of Nations anyway. So where are you on the whole world? Anything? Is it time to just kind of let him go and, and just let him build somewhere else? Yeah, I think it is. In January, the, the, the position that I think we're most likely to sign someone in is midfield. So him going to the African Cup of Nations means that you know, that doesn't affect us as to, to our depth. He's always going to go there. And I think that we were going to need to bring someone in in the short term anyway that could be a long-term option as well. So, yeah, it's a very short and easy answer for me. I, I appreciate everything he's done for the club. And I think that he you know, came back off that loan from Besiktas and put in some really good performances. I will not forget the performance he put in Old Trafford that gave us our first win there mm. since 2006 alongside Thomas Partey. So he gave us some really good performances after kind of, you know, having a little bit of a revival. But he was never of the quality that was going to be an Arsenal starter. He was always brought in as a depth player, always brought in to be a bit of a, a utility man and cover. And he's never eclipse that so yeah give him those last few years of his of his uh career playing week in week out somewhere that he's going to get those minutes i think he's probably earned that yeah he's been heavily linked with moves to turkey uh, on numerous occasions and this report i think originated from a turkish outlet if i'm not mistaken so that kind of makes sense as well doesn't it but it is being reported widely now that the edu is is happy and arteta is happy to almost tear up the remainder of his contract and say, if you find the club in January, off you go. Another player, Tom, that we're being heavily linked with at the moment who could be on his way out of Manchester City is Raheem Sterling. Um, this is a weird one for me, right? Because talent-wise, he's brilliant. You know, he's he, he's fantastic. He's played in great teams. He went to the Euros when lots of people were questioning his inclusion in the side and he dragged England through a few fixtures uh, at that particular tournament, a player with lots to offer still, but is he a player that fits into Project Arteta? Because this is where I'm struggling with it. What's your take on Sterling? Mm. Would you like to see him come to Arsenal? <sighs> the, it's it's such an awkward kind of 
problem, isn't it? It's such an awkward problem to solve. And I, I chatted about this on my channel with a few of the members, and we talked about this in depth on our members' podcast at the weekend. And all of us sat and agreed that we'd take him, no questions asked, that, that you'd have to be silly not to take uh, Sterling. And then I did the press box show on the Arsenal way of Chris Wheatley and Kai Karnak, and both of them turned around and said, no, <laughs> they wouldn't have him. And they put really good reasons as to why they wouldn't have him. And then I was like, I'm really stuck with this because I get both sides to the argument on this one. The argument that he's not good enough is a joke, quite frankly. Like, if you yeah. think that Sterling's not of a quality level to be in the Arsenal team, that I don't know. I don't know what you'd need to convince you. I really, I don't know. And that there's a level of entitlement. I feel maybe to be that to say no to Sterling. If your reasoning behind not wanting Sterling is because of the existing personnel in the team, then I can have a conversation with you because I think there's more to talk about there. The argument to bring him in, you'd say, is it's probably more costing to Martin Erdegaard than it is to Emil Smith-Rowe. Because I feel like if you bring in Sterling, Smith-Rowe takes Erdegaard's number 10 role, more so than Sterling takes Smith-Rowe's role on the left-hand side. I like Smith-Rowe a lot on the left. I think it's helping him to develop as more of a direct goal-scoring attacking midfielder as we're seeing. But I do think that Smith-Rowe's future will lie, as his shirt number describes, in the number 10 role. And I think he can become more of a goal-scoring number 10 and a creative force too. And that, there's nothing wrong with using him in this wide role at the moment. It's really working for him. But I think in the long term, we may see him flourish in this more central position, which is, we've seen with plenty of players. But you have players like Mason Mount, for instance, that can play across the attacking midfield three and flourish. Smith, I feel, has got the ability to do the same thing. So if you bring Sterling in, you've got a player that scores goals, that creates goals, that's got Premier League experience of playing at the top level. It's 26. It's a really good age He's not like he's old or like you're investing us all in no sell-on value. He'll have sell-on value in the next three years still, if you did ever sell him. I mean, we bought Aubameyang at 28 for £55 million. So buying someone at 26 is not its not the end of the world for sell-on value sort of things, if that's your concern. And for the reported £50 million for a player at 26 of that level who's English, I think that's an amazing price for Raheem Sterling, to be honest. It's just about how you kind of fit him in. And... In the chat box, real gooner, I can see there. Sterling not good enough for City, so why is he good enough for Arsenal? Is not an argument that that City are so far and away above us right now. Their squad is ridiculous. They've just spent a hundred million to replace Sterling and Jack Grealish on that left hand side. They got Phil Foden who can play on that left hand side. We don't have that kind of depth and this level. I feel that sometimes we see this level of entitlement that people still put Arsenal on this pedestal that's on the same level of City or Chelsea or Liverpool. It's not right now. And I always go, does Sterling get in and play or anyone that we sign for those top four sides? Because that's where we want to be. Are they going to get into those squads? Are they going to get us closer to those squads? Signing Sterling into this Arsenal squad would close the gap for me. Uh, He would get into Liverpool's team. He would compete alongside Sadio Mane. He would get into Chelsea's team. He would compete alongside their left-hand side players. I think he's a player that, you know, would add a lot to this Arsenal team. It's just a conundrum about how you kind of fit the jigsaw together. Yeah, I think a, a few points on that from me. The first one is the age thing. You know, everybody assumes that Raheem Sterling is older than he is because he's been on the scene for such a long time. And you can often do that, can't you? You can often look at players and think, oh, I, I remember him from X, Y, Z date. And, and now as a result, I think he's over the hill. You can make a case that someone who started playing at the top level like Sterling did at such a young age will maybe have a decline earlier than someone who 
you know, came up the ranks a little bit later because of burnout and all the other things that we associate with kind of modern footballers now. But the age shouldn't be an issue. It shouldn't be a problem. And I think Edu has made it clear that Arsenal will be looking to add senior quality as well to the side moving forward. It isn't just about the 21 to 23 year olds because you're not going to win anything immediately with all of those players. I don't think anyway, I think you do need that blend and he would bring a winning mentality. He would bring experience and he'd bring a lot of quality to the team. The The thing with the price is I don't think the transfer fee would be astronomical and out of reach, but I mm. think the wages would be a big problem. I think we'd end up in a situation where we're, I know we've got a couple of players that are on pretty big money. We know that Aubameyang is on huge money. Um, but I do think that bringing someone like Sterling in, you'd have to pay. Someone said in the chat, 300K. I don't know if that's true. Just check um, it now. Just yeah, have a look. But I'd imagine that it would be significantly more than the players he'd be competing with in that position. Mm. And I think, look. He's on 300K. Yeah, 300K. There you go. I, I think in football, you're going to get situations where some players earn more than others. And that's just the way it is. Like in any job, right? You work in a corporate company. There'll be people on bigger money than people right at the bottom of the food chain. That's just the way it works. But, you know, that I think that would be a potential off-put for me, the, the wage thing and, and what it would mean to the rest of the squad. Does he block the development of some other players? I, I think you've got to weigh that up against how much of an impact you think he'll have on the side um, in the, the short term and then dis decide whether that upside is worth the downside. But I guess for me, the, the biggest thing that maybe is making some fans feel reluctant about the idea of going after Raheem Sterling is the fact that we've been burnt in the past when we've gone and signed players whose careers at better sides mm. have hit a bit of a decline. You know, you think about Willian, you think about when we brought Gallas in all those years ago, you think yeah. about Mikhail Silvest. you know, I know we're not on the same level as City and you don't class them as a direct rival. And, mm. I, and I completely agree with that. But you're looking at another Premier League side and you're looking at picking up someone that they believe is surplus to requirements. And in the past, we've done that and it's never worked out. And I, I think that people, perhaps in their kind of, you know, mindset towards this are not thinking about what Raheem Sterling is mm. and what he would add to our team, but are perhaps thinking about the fact that we've been burnt by this before and that we could end up in a similar situation with a player on big money Mm. just isn't at the top of his game anymore. Do you think that that's playing a part in, in some of the negativity towards the idea? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Arsenal fans in general, we suffer from PTSD. We do it all the time. <laughs> exactly uh, we, 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 we've been burned so many times before. I'm not surprised that, that that's, and that's, that's a fair argument. If that's your argument as to why you don't want to sign him, because you know, you're sick and tired of Arsenal buying players from other teams in the, of that echelon that are just not good enough for them. I understand where you're coming from. So I've got some sympathy. I just, I think that it's it's slightly different. I mean, William was on a free. Louise was on 8 million quid. Czech was on a free. Galas was in what, the, was it the swap deal with Ashley Cole those years ago? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it, it's slightly different in the sense that you're, you know, you're, you're bidding an actual figure um, to trying to get this guy in. Um He's not getting a, he's not getting as many minutes, not because he's up too old or because they've just because he's too old. Like William was was at this point thirty two when we signed him. David Luiz was of an age where he just wasn't playing every week. Czech was being replaced by Thibaut Courtois. Um, 
obviously we've signed like Danny Welbeck for Man United, but again, I don't look at that in the same kind of bracket as this. Sterling's not getting minutes because of Jack Grealish and Phil Foden. And I can't really look at those two and go, oh yeah, look, he, he can't even get in above these guys. Are <laughs> we not signing? Because yeah, they are unbelievable players. So I think it, I think it would be a little bit entitled to be like he's to say he's not good enough for Arsenal. Um, because you know, I think the, the big question is actually, would he even want to join Arsenal? I think that, and when you ask that kind of question, yeah, you're not talking about a player whether they're good enough for Arsenal, it's whether Arsenal are good enough for him right now, is, yeah. is, is more of the question. So, uh, I, I, I would do it, I, I would go 50 million, I would pay the 300,000 300, pound per week wages, uh, only with the caveat, and it does come with a, quite a big caveat is if we had signed in that window the striker that we need and the central midfielder that we need. If we get those two key positions and Edu's thinking, oh, I'm sitting pretty here. Let's let's go and chuck 50 million on Raheem Sterling. I'm like, look, you've done some great work, Edu. You can go and have fun. You can go have a spending spree if you like, because that I think would just, you know, it would add to that extra dimension to Arsenal's options in, in the front. And if you remember, and some people were raising the point in the chat box, so I'm not going to take credit for it, um, that Arteta got the best from Sterling yeah. at when he worked to see. And that's a relationship that, that Sterling's always said he's given a lot of credit to Arteta for. So maybe at 26, he could do a really good job with him at, at Arsenal. Yeah, that's probably playing a massive part in these links even being brought to the table in the first place, that uh, close relationship. Tom, I just just wanted to ask you, mate, are you getting this uh, in your live chat box when you're doing shows as well? People trying to catch you out with fake player names so that you can... Oh, yeah. Uh, I know that Terence um, does it, uh, and that's yeah. why he's blocked. <laughs> <laughs> I just block him. It's just easier. He's, he's tried one here as, as if oh, I'm going to yeah. fall for that, Terence. Come on, mate. Come on. Um, oh, God. Anyway, I highlighted it now. He's got what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. Right. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there, uh, because we've uh, discussed plenty and, um, I'm always wary of talking too much before games. I like to talk after the game when you've got the event to reflect on. Uh, just looking at that poll, which we will uh, share the results uh, with you in a moment. But before we do that, there's nearly 300 of you watching and we've only got 80 likes on the board. So we need to at least get that up to 100. There's no excuse whatsoever for us not to hit that target because there are more than enough of you in the live chat box. So hit the like button if you haven't done so already. With regards to the poll about who should start at left back on Saturday, we said Tavares. Mm. A lot of people gave us heat for that in the comments, but it seems the majority of the live chat agree with us because 62% of you want mm. to see the Portuguese defender start at left back over Kieran Tierney this weekend. And I think that is a testament to how good this guy has been in recent weeks. So uh, yeah, big result there, big win for Nuno Tavares, but will Mikel Arteta take the decision? That is the big question going into Saturday's game. Patrick says the poll is broken. I don't think it is, mate, but yeah. <laughs> no, nice try. You're just uh, in the minority, I'm afraid. <laughs> Which doesn't mean you're wrong, to be fair. Like, there's yeah. been a lot of things I've been in the minority of, and I still think I'm right. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very true. Don't back yourself, who you're going to back. Mm. But there we go. Uh, Tom, just remind people quickly how they can find your channel, how they can find you on social media, how they can keep up to date with all the brilliant work that you do. Cheers, mate. Yeah, you can find myself uh, at the Guna Talk TV uh, on Twitter. Just type in the Guna Talk on YouTube and it'll come up. You can find me uh, chatting away about all the latest Arsenal news at 8am pretty much every day. Although this week's 
taking a little bit of a hit with the illnesses and uh, the birthday this weekend. It's going to be a few days where I'm not going to be able to, but next week we'll be flying straight through 8 a.m. every day as per. Um, and of course, you can also find me at the Arsenal Way uh, with a lot of some really great content creators over there. And of course, all the written stuff is over at football.london. So do check us out over there. Thanks, Harry. Brilliant. Make sure you check it out. Make sure you subscribe to the Guna Talk TV as well. Make sure you're subscribed here. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Canton and Simeon show. Hopefully, maybe we might be talking about a win at Anfield. Who knows? Uh, fingers crossed. Exactly. We'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time. Goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.